Well, this is January, and this is the time of the year when people are looking to, at trying to make changes and improve their lives. There are companies that know that, and of course, they want to cash in on that. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Not yet, anyway. They make promises about their products that may or may not actually help you and me. Nevertheless, these things are, are said. All supposedly really going to make a difference in your life. If you adopt this thing or buy this thing or invest in this thing or start this thing, whatever it may be, this is really, this is the thing that's really going to make a difference in your life. But there is a, a source that can change your life in a lot of ways. And more importantly, that can change your life forever. And uh, what is that? That is the word of God and the promises that we find there in the word of God. So today we're going to be looking at four promises here we find in the text that can change your life. Four promises that can change your life. Now in very quick review, of course, Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is in jail when he writes 2 Timothy. And he's writing this to encourage this young pastor who he led to the Lord earlier in life and now has mentored him, Timothy. Timothy is having a uh, little bit of a, to some extent, a crisis in his life, struggling with fear of the unknown, the future, and so forth. So Paul is giving him loving counsel. And how ironic it is that Timothy is concerned about these things and Paul is on death row waiting to die. And yet he gives us these precious, precious truths in 2 Timothy 2, 1, it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. As we saw last time, we become strong in grace as we walk by faith. We walk in, in trusting obedience to the Lord. We need to be strong in God's grace so we can do the work he has ordained for us as believers. Being strong in grace is a prerequisite to fulfilling fruitful, worthwhile ministry. Let me say this, except for the grace of God, you really can't have a fruitful, successful ministry. It's by the grace of God. Grace, unmerited favor, or unmerited kindness, undeserved mercy. We need that. And as we look to the Lord by faith and then step out in obedience, trusting the Lord all the way, his grace provides for us everything that we need to be fruitful and successful. And so we need the grace of God. And verse two says, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And we saw last time, these four levels, there was the apostle Paul who discipled Timothy. Timothy was to disciple others. And these others, these faithful men were to disciple others. And this is the way the work of God continues down through the ages. If one generation stops doing what they're doing, folks, we lose so much ground in the plan of God. And so then in verses three through six, we saw examples of the endurance and the faithfulness we are supposed to manifest as Christians. We saw in verses three and four, we saw the example of a good soldier. A good soldier is somebody who is single-minded, who's focused on the task at hand. Okay, this is what should be on the mind of a good soldier. And then we saw in verse five, the example of an athlete. An athlete manifests or gets to be a victorious athlete through self-discipline and self-denial. And these are biblical, by the way. These are not 
anti-grace qualities as many people teach or insinuate today. Well, if you have self-discipline or self-denial, you're a legalist. No, you're not. These things are taught in the Bible. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, and nothing could be clearer in that passage. And then we saw the example of a farmer. How does a farmer, why does a farmer keep doing what he does, okay? He does hard work based on the law of sowing and reaping. He believes in the law of sowing and reaping. And it is a not only a natural law, it's also a spiritual law. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, the Bible says. And so the scriptures are clear. And then Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, this is where we'll pick up, Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Now, these next verses, folks, are in the context of the battle and the responsibilities for ministry that we all have from God. God wants us to be seriously minded about accomplishing his work. And this is not just for the pastor. This is for everybody who's saved. Now, he's saying very clearly, listen, there is going to be opposition. There is going to be conflict. There is going to be issues that you are going to face that are going to be challenging issues as you stand up, as you speak the gospel, as you share the gospel and stand on the word of God and teach it and preach it. There's going to be resistance to that. And I think all of you believe that, okay? And so Paul says this in verse seven, consider what I say, the Lord gave the understanding in all things. Remember, Timothy, remember this, that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Now you see the Lord, Jesus Christ was the ultimate picture of suffering for the truth. He was the ultimate picture of that. He in fact died because of the faith because of Christianity. But through the resurrection, listen carefully, through the resurrection, there was ultimate victory, both for him and for us. As the hymn says, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. And if you've trusted Christ the Savior, you're part of the kingdom. And people say, well, I don't wanna die. Well. You know, I don't want to die in the sense of go through the process of it. But if you were to say to me, would you rather have heaven or stay on earth? I would say, mm, not even a comparison. Take me home, right? Yes, I love serving the Lord here. But friends, we'd love to be in the presence of God, right? We'd love that. Paul said, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in Philippians. He says, I'm kind of uh, in a, a quandary here between two. I've, I've got a conflict. I have a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is needful for you. And so he continued on in his faithful ministry, just like we need to. But you know what, folks? We ought to be homesick. We ought to be looking for the Lord and loving the idea of his appearing. This is the way of the word of God. So through the resurrection, there's ultimate victory, both for him and for us. Hold your place here and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It is not accidental that at the end of the long resurrection chapter, that is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is not accidental that Paul links 
the life we should live with the fact of the resurrection. You see, here's the truth of it. Because there is resurrection, for you who have trusted Jesus Christ the Savior, we have everlasting life. And yes, folks, we may die physically, but we do not die spiritually. We go to be with the Lord. We have the victory in Christ. How do you know there's resurrection? Because Jesus came back from the dead. That's how we know. If there is no resurrection, we're just playing a game. But if there is resurrection of the dead, and there is, and he proved it, then guess what? We have every reason to be bold with our faith. And is this not the record of scripture? You see the the, uh, disciples, everybody forsook the Lord Jesus Christ when he was arrested. And yet after, and they they were afraid. And even after he came back from the dead, there was still some fear. But you know what? That fear is they started grasping everything. And then the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter two. The boldness of the apostles went into a whole different level. Why? Because, hey, Yes, we have the truth. Yes, we have a resurrected Savior. Yes, what God says is true. And you know what? I, as a believer, will invest my life in that because there is no greater truth to live for. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. Jesus took care of that. And the strength of sin is the law. He abolished that fulfilled it, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this, victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. It's not a waste of time in the Lord. Why? Because Jesus proved the validity of Christianity. It is the truth. And any time I invest in sharing the gospel with others is time well spent because it is the eternal truth of God. Because of the resurrection, he's saying, getting back to 2 Timothy chapter two now, because of the resurrection, we move on. Verse nine, wherefore I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, jail, but the word of God is not bound. Boy, I'll tell you what, truer words were never spoken, right? Yes, Paul was in jail, but the word of God kept going out. Yes, he was martyred for Christ, but the word of God has kept going out. So because of the resurrection, verse 10, therefore I endure all things. Therefore, because of all of this. Because of the resurrection, we have a risen Savior, we have the truth. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, those who would believe, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He says, I keep going and I keep sharing the gospel because of those who are going to believe it. They're going to live forever with the Lord in heaven. They're not going to spend one second in hell. And both places are forever. Therefore, it is not a waste of my life to invest it in sharing it with others, sharing the gospel. Therefore, I will endure hardness and stay true to the Savior. He endured because lost souls were worth it. We have the truth and it is worth both living and dying 
for. The fact of eternity, folks, in either heaven or hell should be enough to motivate anyone. Okay? Now, let me share with you a deep thought. What fact keeps us going anyway? Now, I mean this in a broad sense. What fact keeps us going anyway? Here's what I believe. Is it not the fact that the Bible is a book of promises? Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Not too long, but for a second. Is that not what keeps you as a Christian going? Is it not a fact that the Bible is a book of promises? Is it not the fact that there are promises in God's word that keep you motivated, that keep you stirred, that keep you faithful, that when you go down, you get back up, okay? When you get discouraged, you get through the discouragement and you are encouraged by what? You are encouraged by the promises of God. I would have quit a long time ago if it was not for the promises found in this book. So what are these four promises that can change your life? Well, they're right in the text. I love it when God does that. Number one, we see it in verse 11, the promise of eternal life for all who believe. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. What does that mean, if we be dead with him? If you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, the Bible says you were crucified with Christ. When he died, you died, okay? His death was your death payment for sin. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, his death payment for your sin was your payment for your sin, okay? Look up here. Let me explain it. This is you and me. My wallet represents the things we do wrong. Here we are. God says we're all sinners. This is sin. God says we're all sinners. God loves us and he hates our sin. For us to go to heaven, we have to be without sin. We have to be righteous in the eyes of God. Well, none of us are. And God says that the wages of our sin is death. Our sin brings with it a penalty. We have done the evil work. We are going to get paid. And it is death. That's the payment. Okay, that's the penalty for that. The wages. If we pay for our own sin, we're going to have to spend forever separated from God in hell. It is not the will of God, nor the desire of God, that we live forever separated from him. But because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves, what did he do? He himself, God the Son, took on flesh, this hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he went to the cross, he died for, as a substitute, our sin. He took it all upon himself. He made the payment for our sin, was buried, rose from the grave. And the Bible says, if you will believe or trust in Jesus Christ, that he made that payment for you, when you do, the payment's good on your behalf. And he saves you and he gives you everlasting life. He forgives you of all your sin. You receive that very moment, everlasting life. It's like you died and paid for your sin. But listen, if we are to die and pay for our sin, what would happen to us is we would have to spend forever separated from God. But you see, Jesus is God himself. He not only died, paid for our sin, but he rose from the grave to prove it was taken care of. And he says, you just believe in me that I did that for you and I will give you as a free gift everlasting life. That's what verse 11 is talking about here. Jesus said in John 6, 47, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, 
You depend upon him. He that believeth on me hath, possesses right now, this moment, everlasting life. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Why? We have in him his life. He who has the son has life. He who hath not the son of God hath not life. 1 John 5, 12. John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, literally believeth him that sent me, hath everlasting life. There it is again. You have it now and it lasts forever. What could be better than that? And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So we see this promise, and this is the foundation of all the Christian life, right? The promise of eternal life for all that believe. Did it for me. The night I got saved, I said, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my whole life. This is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Now, I hardly knew anything, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And isn't that just biblical common sense? Think about it. No one had ever made it clear to me until I was 19. But when I heard it, I thought, that's it right there. That's it right there. This is worth living for. Then we come to the second promise in verse... 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Number two, we see the promise of reward for the faithful disciple. Okay, a disciple is a learner, okay? And the idea is to learn the word of God with the idea of putting it into practice. In other words, now following what we learn. The promise of reward for the faithful disciple, verse 12. It is only those believers, now let me explain this. A lot of people have never heard this before. But you need to understand it because otherwise the Bible's not going to make sense to you. The promise of eternal life is for all who believe. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But secondly, we see the promise of reward for the faithful disciple. It is only those believers who were true disciples of Christ. Notice I didn't say believers only. I said, believers who are true disciples of Jesus Christ. In other words, they have chosen the life of true discipleship, forsaking all, following Christ. It is only those believers who are true disciples of Christ who will reign as the Lord intended them to in his kingdom. I did not say only those true disciples are going to make it to heaven. You notice the difference? There's a difference. Getting there is one thing reigning with Christ as he intended us to is another. That is a matter of reward for faithful service. Notice that the condition for reigning is suffering. Another word for suffering is enduring, enduring. If we suffer, if we endure, if we stay under the challenges and the persecution and the difficulties we will face in following Christ, we shall reign with him. And by the way, this is not a new idea. This is completely scriptural. Every believer will live in the kingdom. Every believer will live in the kingdom. But not all believers will have reigning positions of authority based on reward. Your place, your place of honor Your place of reigning has to do with how faithful did you live for Christ now as a Christian? This is important to realize. Hold your place and look at Matthew chapter 19. 
Jesus addressed this beautifully, and unfortunately, a lot of of believers don't think much about this passage. I think it's very significant, very significant. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27. Now, Jesus just got done with the rich ruler here, challenged him because the man's heart was his faith was in, he was trusting in his riches. Mark's account says it, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom. And by the way, if you're using a different translation other than the King James or New King James, that part of that verse in Mark chapter 10 is missing. It makes it look like if you don't live a life of discipleship, you're not going to make it to heaven. No, Jesus made it clear in our text in Mark 10 how hard it is for those who trust in riches. That's what the rich young ruler was doing. Now, He said that, his disciples were there. And so Peter, you know Peter, he's not afraid to ask a question or declare something as true. He says, Lord. Now he was a believer at this point. And that's significant. Because the truth of discipleship is far different when it comes to a believer than a lost man. See, God challenges lost people with his truth and righteousness. He challenges them. He lets them see, you know what? I don't measure up. And then that drives you to the Savior as your only way to heaven. But what about us who are saved? Well, he challenges us with discipleship. He challenges us for living for him, but it has to do with reward, not whether we're going to make it to heaven or not. In uh, Matthew 19, then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Oh, the pseudo-spirituals today. Oh boy, Peter, boy, he's in the flesh. What are we going to get? What are we going to get? Yeah, you know what? The Lord does not rebuke him because it was a legitimate question. We have forsaken all. Folks, remember, they left everything behind, their occupations and everything, to follow Christ. He says, Lord, we've forsaken all. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, truly, I say unto you, that ye which have followed me. Now that's for believers only, not for lost people. Because you don't follow the Lord to get to heaven. That's works. But Christians ought to live a godly life of good works. That ye which have followed me in the regeneration, that's the kingdom age, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, yeah, pastor, but that's for the apostles. What about for us? This doesn't apply to us, does it? Oh, yes, it does. Keep reading. And everyone, now the context is disciples, save people, And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands kind of covers it all. For my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Now, people say that and say, well, isn't that works for salvation? No. Here, One commentator says this, and I agree. Here the thought is that those who forsake all are rewarded with a greater capacity for enjoying eternal life in heaven. And that is really what it's getting at. 
all believers will have eternal life, but not all believers will enjoy it to the same extent. Based on your faithfulness, you'll have a greater capacity of enjoyment and blessing. There's a difference there. And it is based on faithfulness as a believer. But remember, you get into heaven simply by trusting in Christ as Savior. But this has to do with the life of a Christian after they're saved. Salvation is by grace through faith. It is a gift. Rewards are through faithful, trusting obedience to the Lord. There's a big difference there. Let me show you another verse on this. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Here's one of the promises to the overcomers, but it's not just to all believers. I think some of the promises are to all believers, the promises to the overcomers in Revelation 2 and 3, but some of them are also based on our faithfulness and service. And here we have an example of that. Revelation chapter 2, verse 26, by the way, he's writing to one of the churches here. He's writing to Christians. And he says in verse 26, and he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. Do you see that? What will be the result? It isn't you'll just be in heaven. No. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. The word power means authority. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken in shivers or pieces, even as I received of my father. Now the word overcometh here is the Greek word nikeo. It means to gain the victory, to conquer and prevail. That has to do with achieving something, all right? And yes, Nikeo does sound an awful lot like the shoes that some of you wear called Nike. It is from the same root word. But the word Nike has the idea of the overcomer or the victor. Nikeo is the Greek word. And here in our English, we have the word overcome. To the Christian who overcomes, who gains the victory in his life. In other words, he doesn't live for the world, the flesh, and the devil. He lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. He runs the successful Christian life, not to be saved or stay saved or even prove you're saved, but he's doing it to please the Lord and for reward. He says, your reward will be great. Your reward will be great. Now let's go back to 2 Timothy 2. So if we endure, or if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. That is conditional, has to do with reward in the future. Next, verse 12, we see if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Oh boy, do people get this one wrong. See that right there, right there? You think you're saved, but if you ever turn your back on the Lord, you're going to go to hell because that's what 2 Timothy 2.12 says. Well, no, friend, you're missing the context. Paul's not questioning Timothy's salvation or eternal security. How many verses does the apostle Paul have to preach and teach and put in scripture to show us that eternal security is forever? That's why it's eternal security. We see number three, the promise of disapproval For the unfaithful believer, that's what it's talking about. Disapproval for the unfaithful believer, verse 12. And by the way, this is exactly what Paul is challenging Timothy with. He says, I don't want you to give in to fear. 
and quit, son. I want you to keep going. But if we deny him, he also will deny us. He will be, that person will be denied. Now the word deny, okay, or neomai, it can mean many things and it's used several different ways in scripture. But one of the ways it's used is to refuse, to refuse. So what is he talking about? Deny what? Well, it is certainly not salvation for then you could lose salvation, right? You can't lose salvation once you have it. Some say, well, if you deny Christ, it shows you were never saved. Well, that's false too, as we're going to see in the context here. What about Peter? He denied Christ three times. Did he lose his salvation? Well, he came back around. Wait a minute. Did he lose his salvation before he came back around? Face up to it, friend. He didn't lose his salvation. He lost his fellowship. He was at a low point in his Christian life, just like we face those times. Let me tell you something. Every time we have an opportunity to speak up for Christ and we miss it because we're afraid, we have denied Jesus Christ. Does that forfeit your salvation? No, it doesn't forfeit your salvation. If you have to live faithfully, let me put it this way. If you have to live a faithful life to go to heaven, then you are trusting in your works to get you there. Now, the word means two different places in the New Testament, such as Acts chapter 7, verse 35. It's translated as refuse or refused. If we refuse to let the Lord, here you go. If we refuse to let the Lord rule in our lives, he will refuse to let us rule in his kingdom. He will deny us a place of honor if we do not give him the place of honor in our lives as Christians. If we deny that to him, he will deny us a place of honor in his kingdom. That's what it's getting at. This is an issue of reward or not. It is referring to the place of honor, reward, and reigning that the Lord wants us to have based on faithfulness to him. That is the context of these verses. Now, there are many Christians who will lose out on the reward because they have lived selfish, carnal, wasted lives. They did not let Jesus have the place of honor in their life that he should have had. And as a result, he will not let them have the place of honor that he wants them to have in his kingdom and in the millennial reign. This is also brought out, by the way, in Matthew chapter 10. Turn there with me. I was just going to quote these verses, but you need to see these. Matthew 10. Here we go again. Here's the disciples. The Lord Jesus is challenging them, telling them about this ministry that they're going to face. And it's going to be hard. And they're going to have problems and they're going to have persecution and they're going to have rejection if they're going to be faithful. But here's what he says. Verse 32, but whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me, same word as in 2 Timothy, but whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my father, which is in heaven. You have to ask the question, deny what? Deny him what? It has to do with reward or place of honor. You might say, well, prove that. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Jump down to verse 41 42. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of the prophet 
Now remember, the conversation's continuing. Shall receive a prophet's what? Reward. Reward is the issue here, not salvation. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's what? Reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his what? Reward. Reward. Now Luke's account of Matthew 10, 32 and 33 about confessing and denying, it's interesting. By the way, you notice in Matthew's account, it says, before my father, which is where? In heaven. Now, if this judgment takes place in heaven and you are there, you're there. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's not a matter of whether you're going to heaven or not. The judgment takes place in heaven. And Luke's account bears this out. In Luke 12, verse 8, Jesus said, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Again, it takes place in heaven. It's not a matter of getting there. It's being denied honor and reward. If we deny him, his rightful place in our lives as believers, he's going to deny us honor and reward when we stand before him. John, I believe, made reference to the same concept in 1 John 2, 28, when he said, and now little children abide in him, stay in fellowship, walk in fellowship with him in obedience. And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So friend, here's the thing. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, by the way, go back to 2 Timothy 2. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, what did God give you when you believe? He gave you what kind of life? Everlasting life, eternal life. Same, same word, by the way. Okay, well, if you have eternal life and if you have everlasting life, then how long does it last? It lasts forever. So once you have it, you have it. Well, but if you're not faithful, you know, let me say this. I'm not picking on anybody, but this is a truth. There may be some here who don't know this. Say, oh, I go to an Assemblies of God church and all that. Check out their doctrinal statement. Go to their doctrinal statement on the denomination's website, and you will find they believe you can lose your salvation. In other words, everlasting life is only everlasting as long as you're faithful. See, if you can well, say, well, it's not a matter of faithfulness as if you really, really walk away from God one day. Well, what is that? That's a lack of faithfulness, is it not? Well, if you deny him, if you reject him, or they'll say, well, if you quit believing, boy, this will get me in hot water. If you quit believing, then you'd lose your salvation. Okay, so then my salvation then is based on me continuing in the faith. Is it not? So my salvation is put in me, not in what Christ has done on the cross as the basis for my salvation. That is false. That is false. Why can't we just rejoice in the fact that God saves and he saves forever? When you trust Christ, you're born again forever. You can never be lost no matter what. No matter what, no matter what. 
I heard a friend of mine preaching recently. He says, I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Not that I would want to, but I can't go to hell. Why? Because I have everlasting life. God's promised to never lose me. Never cast me out. I'm eternally secure in Christ. You might say, where do you get that idea? I don't believe that. Friend, again, if you can lose your salvation, it's not eternal salvation. If you get to where your life is no longer eternal, then it was never eternal to begin with. No, once you are saved, if you are saved, you're saved forever. This is the beauty of the gospel. Eternal security is not a separate doctrine from salvation. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13. So let's say you give in to the pressures and the fears. You turn your back on God. Let's say, for an example, some tragedy happens in your life as a Christian. You say, you know what? I'm done believing. I'm done believing in God. Now, listen, there's a lot of people who would say, well, it proves you were never really saved to begin with. That's the devil talking. That's the devil. That's not in the Bible. Did you know nowhere in the Bible does it say you staying saved is you persevering in your faith? The Bible does not teach that. You staying saved is Jesus persevering in his promise to never lose you. By the way, I wrote a book on this. We have it in our resource center called Secure Forever. I recommend it. I'm not boasting. I just recommend it. It's been very helpful to a lot of people. If you don't have one, you can get a copy of that afterwards. But in 2 Timothy 2.13, look what it says. If we believe not. Quit believing. Some weaker translations translate it as faithless. If we are faithless. I think in a sense it's the same same concept, although I think the King James is stronger here. If we believe not, watch this. Let me misread it. If we believe not, oh, well, you got to go back and get saved again. Is that what it says? Look what it says. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. We can deny him, but he can't deny himself. In other words, God will never fail. God will never go back on his word. We are as secure in Christ as God tells the truth. That's how secure we are. Which leads us to our fourth promise, the promise that the Lord will always be faithful even if we are not. He will always be faithful even if we are not. Even if a believer may backslide and walk away, he will still be saved because the Lord is always true to what he has said. God is always faithful even when we are not faithful. This is the difference between him and us. He never fails. We can. We do. See, folks, If your eternal security is based on your performance or your faithfulness or your perseverance, then you can't know for sure you're going to heaven because you can't guarantee you're going to persevere to the day you die. However, I can know I'm going to heaven if it's not based on my faithfulness, but it's based on the faithfulness of God because he promised it. And he doesn't go back on his word. The Bible says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So why it says in Psalm 119, 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled. 
in heaven. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. What he said, he will be true to. He is faithful. We fail. We can fail. We do fail. God never fails. These are four promises we can build our life on. The promise of eternal life for all who believe. The promise of reward for the faithful disciple. The promise of disapproval for the unfaithful disciple. And lastly, the promise that the Lord will always be faithful, even if we are not. Even if we are not. Let me say, if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I hope you see it today, friend. God only saves one way, and it's forever. You may have ups and downs in your Christian life. You may end up running a successful Christian life. You might say, well, people ask it, well, how successful is successful? How faithful is faithful? I don't even worry about it. That's in God's hands. The truth is here. There are differences in reward based on faithfulness, and he's the one who makes that judgment, not us. That's why it's called the judgment seat of Christ. Aren't you glad it's not the judgment seat of you and me? Well, I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of uh, uh, Rick Steffes. I don't know if I want to be there. No offense, Rick. He probably wouldn't want to be at my judgment seat. I'm glad it's not about us. It's about Jesus, who's completely a person of equity and righteousness and justice and holiness and grace and mercy. Amen. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, please trust in him today. He'll give you everlasting life. And that is a gift. And friend, listen, you can receive that gift. And if you never go on to live the successful Christian life that God wants you to, but if you never do, you're still saved if you've trusted Christ. Some people will hear this message and they'll say, that's the most alarming thing I've ever heard. They're telling people to just go out and live any way you want. Is that what I said today? No. See, but like I said recently, the gospel of grace to people who reject it is offensive because it's telling them your works have nothing to do with you getting to heaven and they don't like it. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.